is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. I'm going to tell you. So we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 5, to try to figure out how do we move forward into the, into the future. We recognize that there's lots of challenges that we face. There's lots of unpredictable things that are coming and some challenging things that we have to deal with, not just as individuals, but also as a congregation, as a institution together. So we're, we ask the question, what would help us move forward into the future? And from Ephesians chapter 5, we've discovered several things that I'm suggesting are going to be helpful. The first one is love. That's the first step. We're the kind of people who love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. So if we're trying to figure out what are, how are we supposed to navigate what's coming, the, the first non-negotiable is, well, we're going to love. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to ask the question, what's the loving thing to do in any particular situation? The next thing we discovered was that we're going to be light. And I'm, it's still in my mind Steve's comments that not just the fact that we shine light, but the fact that we are light. And that as we move into a world that can sometimes be really dark and face great challenges, what the world needs is it needs light. It just needs us to shine that light out. Now, how we do that can sometimes be challenging. So the next step was wisdom. How do we figure out the best way to shine light? We talked about the difference between you know, shining light um, on the path to help you or shining the light in your eyes or in some cases, maybe throwing the batteries from the flashlight at you. Which, what's the wise way for us to get your attention to help you navigate that? We also discovered that as we work our way farther up these steps into the future, it gets a little more challenging, maybe more confusing and difficult because the next step up is submit. We have to learn that sometimes it's not going to be the way we thought it was going to be and we have to let go. Stop holding so tightly to some of those things that we're holding on to and surrender them Submission leads to surrender, and then surrender ultimately leads to trust, that we have to trust that God is going to work even though we can't in the moment see how it's working out and we're not exactly clear about what we should do next. And of course, there's always the option of going back down to the the first step. If you're confused moving into the future, go back to the basics. What's the loving thing to do? What's the light thing? What's the wise thing? Then how do I submit? How do I surrender? How do I trust? And... um, Do you think there's any more steps in this process of moving into the future? Well, of course there's more steps. It gets really complicated and there's a lot more steps. We're going to look at the next one from Ephesians chapter 4 today. So if you've got your Bible or your phone or whatever you read Scripture on, our text is going to be Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start with the first seven verses. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. I'm not going to tell you what that next step up is yet. I want you to listen to the passage to see if you can figure it out just from listening to these words and to uh, assist you as you do that. Just know that I'm praying for you and here's the kind of prayer that I pray. The Lord be with you. Ephesians 4 verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, 
One baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. Did you pick up any ideas about the next step? I'll give you one more verse to help. It's Psalm 133, verse 1, which says, Behold how sweet and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. Any ideas what that next step is? Unity, okay. Unity is kind of the thing I'm thinking of as going over or wrapping around this whole process, that we have to figure out how to live in unity. And it seems to me that most of us like the idea of unity because we are basically all conflict-avoidant people. So that means we prefer peace and harmony over conflict and discord. And so unity, we feel like, is a good thing. And for that reason, it makes me feel like there might be a market for uh, something to help us identify when people are rude or divisive. I thought maybe if we could get everybody a shirt like this, if you're the kind of person who's mean-spirited, rude, divisive, uh, troublemaking kind of person, In fact, I thought this was such a good idea. I have a box of t-shirts out back here, and when you guys leave the service today, no, I'm not going to pass out a shirt to you. (laughs) When we think of unity, we usually think about how it feels. It feels better when we're getting along, right? When we play well together, and everybody's in harmony, and there's a sense of peace. That's where we usually start in our discussion of unity, how it feels. This is not where this passage starts. This passage actually starts with a different thing. It starts with the idea that there's a way for us to be unified no matter what, regardless of how we feel, regardless of whether we agree or disagree about everything. There is a unity that is deeper than the feeling of unity. And this comes from Ephesians 4, these words. There is one body. Now this is a declaration, a description. It's saying that no matter what happens, if our life is held together in Christ, then we are one. There's unity. You cannot change it. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. What's the key word from this verse? One. We're one in Christ, and nothing ever changes that. And this leads me to kind of the first point, which is that we believe in the gospel-made unity. Gospel-based unity. We are one because of the gospel. And this is really how the book of Ephesians starts. If you want to keep going backwards to the first three chapters, you'll discover here that Paul is talking about the very thing that Gary mentioned, that we all once were strangers and foreigners and outcasts. We were God-haters. We were far from God. And then God gave us this amazing gift in Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, and now that we are in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that comes by in, in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, this is how it comes to us. And this makes us one. This unifies us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, even if we disagree. Now, one of our country's oldest mottos, I understand, is the motto, E Pluribus Unum. Some of you know that 
phrase, you know what it means, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. And this was first applied to the original 13 colonies. 13 separate colonies were made into one nation, e pluribus unum. And then that motto got applied to every state that was added to the union so that now there's 50 of us that are all many but one. And this is true whether or not we feel like we're one or not with the other states. So you might be sitting there right this very moment thinking, I don't feel very, you know, one with Texans or New Yorkers or California or especially Wisconsinites. We don't feel one with them. But does that change the fact? What's the fact? E pluribus unum, out of many, one. We're one nation. We're all Americans, okay? Now, in an even more profound way, when we look at the gospel, we recognize this is the effect it has. It doesn't matter. And the New Testament talks about Jews and Greeks and slaves and free and male and female. It talks about all these differences that might define us. And e pluribus unum, out of many, one body. In fact, the Bible uses this image of the body to describe the church, the family of God. You know, can you ever say to one part of your body in particular, you know, I'm not really thrilled with you today. I disagree with you. I don't like you. So you're no longer part of the body. Well, you know, I guess in theory you could do that. But we don't, do we? You know, I smack my thumb with a hammer and I got a sore thumb and I think, gosh, it doesn't feel really great to have that thumb be part of my body right now. I'd be better off without it. No, this is ridiculous talk because we recognize that every part is important and it's all part of one body whether we like it or not. It's part of who we are. This is gospel-based unity. We're all part of the body whether we like it or not, whether it feels good or not, whether we agree or not. We're all part of one body. But having said that now, it is nice when it feels good, isn't it? It's good when all our body parts are working well and we don't have to worry about having a sore thumb or stub my big toe or stomach ache, whatever. It feels good. So is there a way for us to feel like one as the body? And this brings us to the next part of our passage, which I'm going to call uh, humility-driven unity. And that this passage is calling us to like maintain this unity so that it actually feels good. We want it to feel good when we're together. I had a prayer with somebody this morning before the first service and she prayed, oh Lord, we're so glad we can come here today and hear the gospel and we're glad that we can do it with people that we like. It feels good when we're together with people that we like. Now a more appropriate model for our times might be something like this. E pluribus divisio. Would you like to figure out what that means? Out of many... Division, that we do tend to be a people right now who are experiencing a lot of conflict, a lot of division, discord, partisanship, mistrust, suspicion, like almost on a daily basis, don't we have this? And we tend to amplify these disagreements. We don't focus on like, okay, what's the thing that is in common? What's the one thing that holds us together? We tend to focus on the thing that divides us apart. E pluribus Divisio makes it seem like e pluribus unum isn't even possible. Now, you realize right now, don't you, that I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about the church. That oftentimes the church 
is divided. In fact, there are some people who look at the church universal, the one that we believe in, the church of all believers, and they say, well, they appear to be more divided now than ever, that there's lots of different issues that have caused disunity. In fact, they've been studying this, and one of the studies I came across was interesting in that it talked about an experience that most congregations have had in the past year and a half, and they call this experience the great sort. The great sort started in 2021 after the pandemic was kind of letting up and people were starting to re-engage with their churches that people were making decisions about switching to a different church. And the reason they were making this decision was not based on a biblical truth or a theological truth or a core truth, but they were basing this sorting on ideological issues. We disagreed about the stuff that was happening in the culture and so we divided over it in the church. In fact, this survey indicated that as high as 30% of all church members were realigning with a different congregation because of these disagreements. And uh, here's the kind of disagreements they were talking about. Some people left their congregation because of mask wearing. And other people left their congregations because people did not wear masks. Some people switched congregations because they heard the name George Floyd too often. And some people switched congregations because they did not hear the name George Floyd often enough. Some, church, some switched congregations the Sunday after the election because their congregation prayed for President-elect Joe Biden. And some people switched congregations because they didn't pray for Joe Biden. You see the kind of issues that are dividing us? Causing this sorting? as many as one in three, they're not leaving the church, they're just finding a different body to belong to. In some cases, people left congregations they'd been members of for years, even decades, because of these social and political disagreements. Now this moves us from the objective truth of we're all one in the gospel to the question of how do we maintain unity? And Ephesians 4 gives us a guide. This is what Ephesians 4 says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is how you maintain unity when you disagree. It requires humility and gentleness. It requires bearing with one another on these non-essential items. Now, of course, you know, division is not new in the church. It's been happening since the very beginning. In fact, Every church that Paul planted experienced division, every one of them. And that is, in most cases, why Paul wrote these letters back to them to say, hey, I see how it's going there now. It's not, you're not getting along so well, so here's some challenges that you have to face. Paul called these churches to remember their gospel-based unity, that they were one, and to maintain or develop humility-based unity, humility-driven unity. This is what Paul said to the conflicted congregation in Philippi. Um, he said to them this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being one in spirit and of one man, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of the other. Unity requires humility, bearing with my brother or sister. He wrote this to the conflicted congregation in Corinth. You know, the Corinthian church was probably the, one of the worst. It was like the most divided congregations. And so Paul wrote them this kind of stuff. He said this, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. Now, as soon as I start reading that, some of you are thinking, ah, weddings. That's not the real original context for this passage. The original context was he's writing to churches that are divided. They're fighting each other. They're disagreeing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Man, do we need these words today? Love does not dishonor others, not self-seeking, not easily angered, no record of wrong, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in truth. This is humility-driven unity. We choose to work through it. And even if we continue to disagree, we, uh, we agree to stay together in this. So this path leads to kind of more uh, feeling unity, but it's still not easy, so I'm going to suggest one more step in this unity wrapping, and that is to pursue Jesus-minded unity. That if we're going to ever have a hope of realizing the objective unity we have in the gospel and feeling it, that we're going to have to have a like-mindedness and that mind, it should be the mind of Jesus. Philippians 2, to go back to them, Paul wrote, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Philippians 2, 5. Have, this, have the mind of Jesus. All of you together, develop this mindset and you'll be one. You'll feel one. To that divided church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. How in the world can we be perfectly united in mind and thought? One way, everyone have the mind of Christ. We'll all have the same mind then. A little bit later in our reading here in Ephesians 4, verse 22, Paul says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. This renewal of our minds comes as we more and more share the mind of Christ together. And this allows us to hold our unity together even in disagreements. My uh, staff is always trying to help me stay up on technology and stuff, so they got me into podcasts. And I finally, I'm happy to announce I have a phone that can actually receive data so I can do podcasts. Um, but I did get sucked into some videos uh, last week, and these videos were all about um, marine recruits who were getting initiated into basic training. So they showed them coming off the bus and the process of the drill instructors getting these guys ready to be Marines. And my basic conclusion after watching too many of these videos 
was that all you need to become a Marine is you need to get yelled at a lot. <laughs> they just yell at you constantly, then you're going to get shaped into a Marine. But one of the things the drill instructor said was this, that one of, their, one of their main goals when they get these recruits off the bus is that they want them to, like, forget their individuality, let go of their past, let go of their history, let go of anything that makes them unique, and they need to all have the same mind. They need to all be together as a team, and that uh, a huge part of that basic training is to get them to think the same way so that they can work together as a team. I don't know if there's anybody here who has ever had basic training who could confirm that, but that they're working to get them to have that mindset. Now, I also got sucked into a podcast about a special ops Marine who was describing his first experience in battle, the first time he came under enemy fire. And he was talking about how fast this all developed, but then over time, it all slows down and you can kind of process this. And what he processed in the midst of this attack was what he called the myth of the hero. And that many times we watch movies about these guys, these special op guys, and you guys, one guy steps up and he's like heroic and he like saves the whole team. And he goes, that's a myth. Really what happens in these situations when you're in this intense pressure is everybody reverts back to their training. And every piece of the team does the part that they were specifically trained to do. And as each one does their part, they function as a whole and the unit is successful. They achieve their target and none of them are killed. This is what he said. It's required that for these teams to be successful, they have to function as one, but each one does a different job. Now you wonder why I bring this up, and I bring it up because if you keep reading in Ephesians to chapter 6, you're going to see that the mission that we're given as the body of Christ moving into the future is a battle. We're told in Ephesians 6 that we're in a battle, and our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not, other, other people are not the enemy. Our battle, we're told, is against principalities and powers and forces of darkness that are at work in this present age. And these forces of darkness are working to try to undermine and destroy everything that God is doing. If they can break us up as a team, they win. Our success in this battle is recognizing that we're one no matter what, no matter how we feel, no matter what's going on, we're one in the gospel. And that sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel good. We're going to not necessarily all have the same role, the same vision, the same value, the same ideal, but we are one as we develop the mind of Christ. And this is why I included verse 7 in this. Most people, when they're teaching or preaching on this passage, they end at Ephesians 4, 6. There's a paragraph break there. But I think verse 7 is part of this. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one of us has a unique role to play. We have different gifts. And if you keep reading in chapter 4, you'll see you know, some are preachers, some are teachers, some are administrators, some are prophets. There's all these different gifts that we all have. We all use these gifts together as one body to accomplish the mission that God has given to us. So unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we necessarily all agree all the time. Diversity doesn't destroy unity. Disagreement doesn't destroy unity. Differences doesn't destroy unity. We can still be unified in all these things. 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. 
Team is vital because we are in a battle. And that battle is won when we are unified. And so this is how we move into the future, as one team, each part doing its own. When we do this, we see success, and I think the people watching us see success too, that this, this unity becomes actually kind of visible so that the people looking at our congregation can see it. And I actually got to experience that this, a little bit this week. We were out with a team of people working with Matthew 25, and um, I think they had some, somewhere like 250 different people from different congregations, different organizations, different people who all, uh, by and large, loved the Lord, were followers of Christ, and then we were all given different projects to go out into Cedar Rapids and paint decks and fix windows and straighten doors and do landscaping, pull weeds, whatever the job was, we were all going out as one army to accomplish this. And the feedback that they, uh, Matthew 25 gets from this is amazing. These people who were watching this see this happen, and do they see uh, the differences of all the people? Do they go, oh, those are all from different churches. They're all from different beliefs. They're all from different values. Is that what they see? No, what do they see? They see one body serving and making a difference. That's what they see. And then they report like deep, deep gratitude because we served them. This is how we move into the future. Wrap all this stuff up. The loving thing to do, the light thing to do, the wise thing to do, the submitting thing to do, the surrendering thing to do, the trusting thing to do, wrap that all up in unity. A unity that, first of all, doesn't change no matter how we feel because it's in Christ. Gospel-based unity. And then that unity is something we do feel as we humbly bear with each other, cut each other some slack, listen to each other. And then it becomes visible to all when we um, live it out together with the mind of Jesus. Now some next steps to maybe think about. First of all, can we stop feeding our natural tendency to divide? It feels like there's something in us, wired into us, to be divided. And I'm beginning to wonder, and I, I read some interesting commentary this week that made me think more about this, that it, our tendency to divide is actually enhanced because we're not being discipled into the mind of Christ, we're being discipled into the mind of Fox News or into the mind of CNN or into the mind of Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. We're getting discipled by all of these other things in the world and they're shaping the way we look at these issues and they're dividing us. They're, you know what? They make money. The more divided we are, the more money they make. They have a, a vested interest in keeping us divided and keeping us angry. Can we stop feeding our tendency to divide? Just stop it. I know I've shared this many times, but I'm still on kind of a, a news fast because I recognized many months ago, this is not good for me. It's making me an angry, bitter crab. It makes me the kind of guy who has to wear a T-shirt like I don't play well with others. Stop feeding that tendency. Second next step Instead, celebrate our core gospel identity. Celebrate the things that make us one. Look for the things that unite us. Look for the things that we agree on. Build on that. Celebrate that. Talk about that. 
And that'll start to transform us into the mind of Christ. And if, if there's anyone here who wants to dig a little deeper into this, I highly recommend another sermon. And the sermon was preached by a guy named Ed Stetzer. The name of the sermon is Unity and Community in a Time of Division. You can just Google that much, you'll get it. Or you can go look at the sermon notes or online and we'll have it posted with the message today. Unity and community in the time of vision. Best sermon I've ever heard on how we get shaped into the mind of Christ and the difference that makes in us living together in unity with each other, first of all, and then a growing unity with people we're trying to reach and love in the world. We are the kind of people who move into the future with gospel-based unity, humility-driven unity, and Jesus-minded unity. And if we do that, then we are going to be the kind of people who are really fun to play with. Dear Lord God, I give you thanks for being here with us this morning. I thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who's always hovering around over this space and over each of our hearts to, to sink these truths home. And we thank you for that gift of Jesus who came to make us one, to make us brothers and sisters in Christ, to make us part of your family, to make us saints and temples and holy people. God, I ask that you'll help us to live into that. And God, forgive us for those times when we have been the divider. We have been the one who's been rude and arrogant and divisive. God, forgive us for that. Help us to live in peace and unity. God, give us courage to stand up for those things that we know are core things and give us the freedom to surrender and let go of those things that are not core things. God, help us and bless us as a church, as a denomination, as we move into our future. God, we want to pray specifically for others who might be here today who are wrestling with this, and they're finding that these divisions have been hard on them, even dividing family members. God, I pray that you'll work to uh, bring renewal and refreshing and reconciliation in these situations where it's been hard. God, we want to lift up others in our congregation who we know have a special need. We know that there's many who need a touch of your hand to bring healing. God, we lift up Kathy before you. We lift up Chrissy and, and Pat and Dave. Um, others, God, that slipped slip my mind at the moment, but we know there's many others who need a healing touch. We know there may be some that have doctor's appointments this week, and God, we pray that you'll prepare them for the news that they'll receive and that you'll wrap your strong arms of love and support around everyone who needs it. God, be with anyone here today who's feeling uh, lonely, who's feeling isolated, feeling outcast, those who are maybe dealing with broken relationships, um, marriages that are crumbling, friendships that have been undermined. God, you do believe in reconciliation, and we believe that you can, you can do it. We pray that your power would be at work in us to give us the mind of Christ to be able to reconcile in all of these situations. God, I pray for those who are facing economic challenges, people who are out of work or looking for work or who are just trying to make ends meet with the, with the increased cost of living. God, would you come near to those and provide for them? We know that you're the great provider. God, I praise you and thank you. We come to you, God, not as one who is uncaring or one who is distant or absent or absent-minded. We come to you as a God who is very attentive to us, that you're a God eagerly waiting for us to cry out to you and that you're hearing our prayers and responding to them. Thank you that you're a God who's 
all-powerful. You can do something about that. We thank you that you're a God who's everywhere present and you can uh, bring about the change that you desire. We thank you that you're a God who's all-loving and that that love is unconditional. We just thank you, God, because you are, uh, you are a good, good Father and we love you and we adore you and we worship you today with our heart and our mind and our soul. And God, we pray these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.